It's good to be with you. Are you excited for uh, church today? You, are you ready for it? Yeah. Uh, if you're brand new with us and you're trying church out for the first time, you, you might be weirded out. It's okay. Stay for the whole time uh, and, and, and make judgment afterwards. Uh, but you may not know that, that we're one church, one collective group of people, but we meet in, in multiple places. And in fact, we're going to add places but on Sunday mornings, if you don't know this, we're here at West, you're with me, and uh, there's also a whole crew that just watches online because they don't get out of bed, and we will not applaud for you. <laughs> but there is a whole nother crew of people, uh, they are Fountain Springers, and they are fellows located at what we call RCMU, the Rapid City Minimum Unit, it's a minimum security prison here in town, and I thought we should give it up for the fellows at RCMU. We're, uh, we're adding another location to, again, assemble more Fountain Springers and to reach more folks. It's on the east side, across from the fairgrounds. You can go snoop and look around. There's signs up. You'll see it. The building's looking you know, awesome. And so we're hoping that it will open up and launch the weekend after Easter. And so when I talk to you that way, you need to think, like, oh, that's a month away. That's it. And yes, the staff are freaked out, as are the folks who have already committed to serve there, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. I don't know where you live, if you live on the eastern side, or if you're just like, I just want to go to the eastern side. I, I encourage you to check that out. Be, be nosy. There you go. Be nosy. You're allowed. It's okay. Just for that. I'm not giving you permission to be nosy in other ways, but that way you can. Uh, let me ask you a question as we go into this new series. Uh, how do you see the world? Just think about inside your head, the, the opinions that you have. I mean, this is like an opinion-dominated year, if you watch politics in any way. It's, it's the idea of how you see the world is flushed out oftentimes on how you vote and those kinds of things. But let me, let me have you just thinking for a moment. How do you see the world? And then take it a step further. Why do you see the world that way? All of us have friends that have different views some of us have family members that have different views of how to see the world, how you look at it, how you evaluate it, what you think is good, what you think is bad, why you think it's good, why you think it's bad. We have what's called filters that we look through. If you're familiar with taking pictures nowadays, you can not only take a picture, but you can doctor that picture up with a different filter. You can make it look all antiqued and everything. Uh, there is an era I'll take you way back, way back, way back, way back, way back to the 80s and 90s. <laughs> Do you remember when you would get all dressed up uh, in cowboy stuff and, and old clothes and you'd take an old-fashioned picture and they would apply that filter and you would look all old and some of you have that up in your houses now, it's awesome. In fact, just saying that thing, I've got an idea now for our family. But you, you remember that old-fashioned pictures, you can still do that around here. Uh, but now if you take pictures with your phone, you can make it black and white, boom, and look like an amazing photographer. You, you can make it look all antique. You can add different colors. You can make have lines go through it. You can apply the filter so that when people see that picture, they see something you've created. What if you and I look at life through filters? Uh, things that you've experienced, things that you've done, things that have been taught to you, things that you've locked on as truth in your life, but here's the danger. What if you're looking through a filter that gives you an inaccurate view? What if life on the other side of that filter isn't real? So that leads me to obviously talk. I mean, I gotta have a South Dakota talk. Are you ready for a South Dakota talk? 
our unofficial state animal. See, this thing, well, I mean, some of you, I'm gonna ruin some of your, your, your family talk because this isn't real. I know, some of you are like, really? It's, no, the, this jackalope is not real. Uh, if you grew up again in the 80s and 90s, there's even a specific comedian TV show that well talked about this guy, but uh, here's what I learned when we moved to South Dakota about eight years ago. I, I thought, are those real? I mean, because enough people went to houses and even some tourist attractions and you could buy these. I'm like, do they, do bunnies crow antlers? And I'm not a hunter, so it's, it was a logical question at the time. But if you don't know about this, this is not a real animal. However, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. In a neighboring state uh, in about 1930s, according to the ever true, always true Wikipedia. See, if you don't know Wikipedia, I just wouldn't trust it. But in the 1930s, someone as a joke thought it'd be kind of fun to take some antlers and sop them onto a jackrabbit and be like, hey, they're real, just you haven't seen them in nature, but, but here, here you go. And then it leaked over to our wonderful state. And people in South Dakota, because we're smart, figured we can make money off these things. And so now, when you go all over, especially to a lot of tourist attractions, you're going to see the jackalope. And now, now, okay, some of you are like, well, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah. Who's been to Wall Drug? Anyone? Okay. You, you, you read the signs, and you're like, I, I have to. If you've ever been to Wall Drug, if you, see, some of you are like, I never bought, the, I never bought it. I know it's a tourist trap. I'm not going there. No. Uh, if you go to Wall Drug... This wonderful thing is there. Uh, and I say wonderful, not because I'm not gonna show you a picture of me on this thing. It never happened, it never will happen. Do not even dream such a thing. But, but we did put the kids up on this thing. Some of you have done this and you've hidden those pictures now or regretted posting them online. This jackalope is there. It's fascinating that one of the major things that we offer tourists is, yeah, I mean, like Mount Rushmore is awesome, but have you heard about the jackalope? <laughs> it's, it's not real, okay? It's not real. But it got me thinking for, for a bit more of a serious question. So I think you're ready for more of a serious question. This jackalope, yeah, I mean, if anyone who's logical will be like, okay, David, yeah, I know that's not true. But what you know about the jackalope is it's a, it's a true animal combined with a true animal making a false animal. You got that? It's two real things, two truths coming together to make something that's not true. What if you and I do that with life? What if you and I are, are living a jackalope kind of life where we've taken something that's true and then something else that we liked that was true and decided to make our own what we thought was true and apply that filter to life, but we're now looking at life in a way that it isn't true? What if you and I are in danger of living life through a filter that is inaccurate? See, you and I make decisions all the time. You would agree. I agree. This is, we make decisions all the time. What if the truth that you're living by isn't truth. It might feel good. It might seem logical to you. Like, ah, yeah, this, this, David, this feels right. This is how life should be lived. What if you pressed it out further? Maybe it's not true. Let me give you an example. What I want to do is I'm going to show you two polar opposite truths. Here's the first polar opposite truth. This is how, if you were to call yourself a Christian, this is a filter you see life with how you view the world, how you view everything, how you process the decisions you're gonna make, how you're gonna behave, how you're gonna think, how you're gonna treat people, what you're gonna do. This is a Christian. If you're not a Christian, just sit back, relax, and be like, this does not pertain to me. 
But if you are a Christian, if you mark that, say that, communicate that, believe that, let me tell you, not by feelings or opinion or even culture, I will tell you what Jesus and all throughout the Bible explains what being a Christian is. It means a Christian believes that life is God-centered. Everything about it is centered on God. The decision-making, the thought processes, all of that is centered on God. So what that means is God created the heavens and the earth. You believe that, you've locked onto that, you see the incredible hills, the lakes, the amazingness of creation, and you say, I know who made that, I know how we got here, God did it. That's what a Christian believes. That's how a Christian sees this world. And he made Adam and Eve. Mankind is incredible. Everyone is perfect. It's locked in. There's a great relationship with God between Adam and Eve and God. And and everything is great. And then Adam and Eve introduced to this world sin. If you're not familiar with what that is, they rebelled against God. God said, don't do this. And they said, okay, we will. And that's what you and I oftentimes do. And they introduced into this life. If you're a Christian, you believe this. Sin, and sin leads to death. In other words, there's always a consequence. There's always a debt created by sin. Now, if you're wondering about how this plays out, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was sin, and that's when cats were created after that. (laughs) Just to remind us that sin is nasty. That's when cats and Raiders fans, this is when this all happened. Yeah. Don't ask me afterwards to prove that. I, I, I. But, but this, is, this is, if you're a Christian, you wake up in the morning, you go to sleep at night, and everything that happens before and after that, this is the filter you see life with. God created everything. Sin got introduced, and God said, I've got a solution. I will provide you with a Savior. He will be Jesus. He will come and die for your sins, pay the payment for your sins, and you will no longer be responsible to have to try to figure this out on your own. You will have salvation unearned. So for those of you who live your life going, I sure hope I live this week good enough to maintain and keep my salvation. You never earned it in the first place. Quit trying to. It's the beauty of this. So God provides a savior, gives a salvation, meaning what salvation means, saved from my sins. How does that play out here? You think about earth. No, you think, think eternity. That means when you are saved from your sins, that when you do die, you go to heaven. And if you looked at the time scale, if you looked at all of history, you would then realize that our time on earth is so small compared to eternity. And so earth is not your home. Heaven is. If you're a Christian. And if heaven is home, earth is just a camping experience. And some of you are like, I like camping. Then why do you own a home? I know what you like more. And so the earth is just this camping temporary moment. In fact, the Bible even alludes to our bodies as tents, culminating in this. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, God guides your answers. When you need an answer, when you got a question, when you're processing, you, you might go to friends and family and seek their opinion, but your answers, what you do with your life, it is guided by God. This is the filter that Christians have. This is the filter that we as a church teach. 
You want to know how to view the world accurately, what is true. This is true. But some of you are like, I'm not sure, David, if that's true. So let me just, for example's sake, show you the polar opposite of this on the other side. This polar opposite, just, just for comparison's sake. You say, no, I'm not sure I believe in God. So, so your perspective, your filter of life is there is no God. And if you do not believe in a God, that means something made this. In other words, a big bang evolution. Something put this place in place. And, and then so if, if there's no God and there's no one to rebel against, that means there's no sin. Everyone is up to just make their own moral code. And so if, if there's no sin, there's no one to rebel against, there's no need for a savior, meaning no need for salvation, meaning definitely there's no heaven or hell because there's no judgment, and earth is home. You, you're born here, you die here, and that's just how it plays out, that's it. And the culmination, feelings, guide your answers. What do I feel like I should do? I will do that. And in today's culture, we champion that. Is that what you felt like doing? All right, good for you. Now, now, some of us are like, wait a minute, I, okay, David, okay, okay, okay. I, I'm not on this side. I, I, I do believe there's a God, and I, I like this side, but this is challenging in some instances. Let me show you where a good portion of us actually reside. It's in the middle. We ride the fence. The Bible calls it being lukewarm. <laughs> it's this middle part that we're like, man, I love some parts of this, <laughs> I love the fact that there's a God, someone bigger than me that created all this. It's hard to deny the human body and how it's made and all a part of even creation. Like it's absolutely amazing. Like ah, yeah, God made this earth, it's awesome. But I'm not sure I need a savior of any, from anything. I think that might be just something the religion made up in order to kind of control me. And then so you might then come back here. However, heaven sounds really awesome. So I wanna keep that. But hell sounds really nasty. There's no hell. And then we come back here and be like, oh, well, God guiding your answers. I bet he knows a lot. I'm going to rely on his answers unless I don't like his answers. And then I'll revert to my feelings. And this is how this will work. I know that sometimes you're like, wow, that sounds like life. Many of us are living on this line. And frankly, it's very confusing. Because our view of, in some cases, like, oh, God made me. He loves me so much. So if God loves me so much, I will never experience pain. Where'd you find that? You see, we begin to make some things up. We create a, a jackalope kind of a faith or Christianity. And so we've taken truth here, truth here, combined it here, and made a false truth. It's not real. I'm just pressing into the idea that what if you and I are doing this on a regular basis? It's dangerous. Like I told you, if you're a Christian, you believe this conversation impacts eternity. So I would contend this regarding filters. The filters we use to see life determine the way we live life. And right now, the decisions you've already made today, the decisions you've got lined up the rest of the day, the people that you encounter and how you will treat those people, the fears that you have in your life and how you feel like you're gonna overcome them or run for them or battle them or retreat from them, all of that, all of that processing through the day, the filters we use to see life with determine the way we're gonna live our life. So, 
if you identify with the Christian side of that example that I gave you. If you're like, David, I'm a Christian. I believe God made the earth and that, but I, we, I sinned, I've messed up and I needed a savior and that Jesus provided me that salvation. David, I love that list. I like that. I locked onto that. Well, then how do you live life? How do you guard yourself against just making feeling-based decisions? Well, Jesus gave us a story. Jesus gave, I love stories. I think you do too. Jesus gave us a story, and out of that story, we as a church have grabbed a hold of that story, and we've taken that story and like, we want to know how to live life as a Christian should live life. And some of you are like, oh, great, now we're going to talk about Sunday school and, and church attendance. No, 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 no. See, some of us think that's what being a Christian is, going to church a certain amount of times or making sure that, that you hold doors open for people and making sure that you don't cuss and don't drink too much, and, and that's what being a Christian is. I want to show you what Jesus gave us in story form of what it means to actually let your Christianity come out of you. And that's what it's intended. So if you like going to your Bible, go to Luke 15, and let me read to you and walk us through a profound story that Jesus told. So Luke 15, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Just, this is very practical, you and I understand this, there is an inheritance coming. The problem is, the son's like, I'm raising my hand right now. I know you're not even sick, Dad, but uh, <clears throat> I'm ready for it. I'm ready for my inheritance. And, and if you don't know this, and I think you do, but if you don't know this, when someone would give their inheritance, when a father would give his inheritance up, he's giving up ownership. So it's not just like, sure, you can have this and, and test drive it. No, it's like, what I own, I now give away. I no longer own this. That's a big question to ask your dad. Father, give me my share of the estate. So here's how dad reacted. So he divided his property between them. In other words, gave it up, divided it amongst the sons. The story goes on. Not long after that, the younger son got all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. You're like, I knew it. Uh, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I mean, you know, you know, the story is almost predictable at the beginning. I mean, you're like, okay, I knew that was going to happen. He asked for everything, and he takes off it, and he wastes it. And he does waste it. The story tells us, Jesus tells us this. He says, hey, here's not only did he waste it, he finds himself homeless, starving, and he finds himself literally eyeing the food that pigs are being fed and going, hmm, that looks pretty good. Now, I think in South Dakota, a good portion of us have witnessed what pigs eat, do not do so right now. If you have not, don't look on YouTube right now. You'll throw up on the person in front of you. What pigs eat is not appetizing. <laughs> How pigs eat is not appetizing. There's nothing great about it. We love the end product, bacon at every moment and every portion of the night and day is always awesome and amazing. Do not show me what they ate to make that bacon awesome. So this son has lost everything, wasted everything, and he's looking at pigs going, I kind of want their food, I'm not hungry. Now you may not identify with that, but I wonder if you do identify with being at rock bottom. Many of us have been there before where you've made choices, you've been in a process where whether it was your choice or someone else's choice, but you found yourself at a low point going, I don't think it can get any worse than this. That's where this kid is at. He doesn't think it can get any worse. And in fact, maybe in his case, it doesn't. So here's what happens, because there's this fear going on but then there's this, I've got to change. Something's got to change. Something's got to be significant. 
So he says, I only got one place to go. And many times if you're at rock bottom, if you have no options or you don't feel like you have any options, you pick the one option that you don't want to pick, so you gotta change it a little bit. So he says, you know what, I'm gonna go home, but it won't be home anymore. I'm not gonna go home to dad, he won't be dad anymore. I'm gonna go to where I work now. I'm gonna work for my boss, not my dad anymore. And that's how he plays this out. Here's how it goes out. I will set back, set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's a low point. Jesus is telling a story all on purpose. To the hearers at the time, everything in this story makes complete sense to all of them. Going, they're hating the son. He's a jerk. He's wretched. No one likes him anymore. Like this son asked for his inheritance early, and then he shames his family and wastes all of it. Now he's going to come back saying, Hey, I'll work for you the rest of my life. We'll change our relationship. Everyone's like, Make sense, make sense, make sense, make sense. But then Jesus finishes the story and it wrecks everybody. Here's what Jesus is about to unfold to you and I how to live life. So do not just say, oh, that's a sweet story. Sounds a little bit like The Notebook or some great chick flick and oh, no. When I read to you what I'm about to read to you, here's what you should be pressing in. Do I live that way? Are we clear? Now let me read it to you. So he got up and went to his dad. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Many of us right now have stopped looking at the people who have hurt us, the people who don't believe what we believe, the people living different lifestyles than we would affirm, people in a different political party. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Quick question. The people you don't agree with and that you don't like and you're not sure if you want them at your church, if it came to it, would you let them at your church? Here's what happens. He saw him and was filled with compassion for him. If you don't know where we're going on this, that's an emotion. <laughs> it's an emotion that some of us haven't felt in a long time because we're so mad. Just mad for whatever reason you're mad, but if you watch this, the son's coming back. He's, on, he's not even at the house yet. The father sees him because he's been looking for him. He hasn't given up on him, in other words. And not only has he not given up on him, he's filled with compassion for him. He's filled with compassion for him. Most of us watch our TV screens and see people and look at people, and we are not filled with compassion for them. We're filled with judgment. Let compassion be what drives you. But watch this. It turns from emotion into action, he ran to his son. He ran to his son. I love this. See, many of us are like, okay, okay, dude, I'm with you, I'm with you. I have compassion for people who need to know who Jesus is. I sure hope someone tells them. He was filled with compassion. Dad's like, I got compassion. I must do something about that. So he runs to him. And he sets aside all social protocol he sets aside all of what his neighbors and his family will say, and he runs to them. If you don't know this about cultural moments in this, if that son returns home, which he's returning home, he has sinned against his 
family and against God. He's thrown away all that money. He has two options. If he makes it into town and other people see him, they will either throw him into jail for the rest of his life or they will more likely pick up stones and stone him to death for what he did to his family. Why does Jesus say he ran to his son? It's because his son's life was in danger. It wasn't because, well, I'm just excited. It wasn't because he didn't know what his son did. It's because if he doesn't get to his son first, other people will. That's why we love this story. He was filled with an emotion that was real, but he didn't let the emotion just stay there. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Let me boil all this down. You want to know a filter to see all life? If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, like I see the world as a Christian sees it, then as a church we have owned another filter called unconditional love. We see people as people who need to be loved. We don't say like, well, let's make sure we line up on, on views and perspectives and beliefs and let's make sure that you've been making enough good decisions for a while and then we will engage you and love you and support you and be okay. We don't say, well, let's make sure that there's, there's no liability here. No, 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 no. We see people and we love people. It seems basic, but every one of us goes like, that's not what I always see. <laughs> And in fact, you're like, I'm, I'm confused. You're talking about unconditional love and church all in the same sentence. Many of you have not seen that before. Many of you have friends who will never go to church because they've never seen anything like this. And in fact, I would say it as we've said it many times before, many of us don't know who Jesus is because of what the church wasn't. It's a sad reality. I'm a preacher's kid, fourth generation pastor in a row. I can tell you, I have seen this over and over and over. So someone be like, so give up on the church. No. No, no, no. Because I believe God's design for the world to know who he is was the church. So I don't think it's God's fault, I think it's our fault, and if it's our fault, we can fix the problem. So we have another quote, a better quote that we like as a church, here it is, the church is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. You wanna know what Christianity is? It's not like, oh, you're a Christian, so you live life perfect, or, or you hate me because of this or that. No, 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 it's we're just beggars showing other people where to find the good food. And so as a church, that's what we've locked onto. So if you came into this place, and you're like, I wonder what they're gonna think of me. I wonder if I'm gonna know anybody. I wonder if they know about this or that. I'm gonna tell you what we thought about you. We sure hope you, uh, you know where the food is. And you're like, well, I don't understand the metaphor. We hope you know where to find Jesus and who Jesus is. That's what we wanna show you is who Jesus is. And I will press this even further into your life. This unconditional love needs to be owned by you. In fact, here it is. Love is conditional until you make it personal. See, I love church, unconditional love. Yes. Have you made it personal? Let me, let me walk you into a real life example. See, see, we make other things personal. For those of you who have ever been to an all day wrestling meet, <laughs> or an all day swim meet, 
And for about two minutes of that whole day, maybe five if you're lucky and they do really well, you watch the person you came there for. But the rest of it is, I was going to, yeah, it's torture. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't relate. I don't relate. Have you ever been to a middle school band concert? <laughs> Have you ever left a middle school band concert, got into your vehicle and be like, man, I wish we had a CD of that? <laughs> Let's just play that all the time in our cars, in our house. I'm gonna go work out to this. I'm gonna put that in my earbuds. This is gonna be sweet. Give me some middle school band concerts. So why do we go? Why do we cry? Why do we love it? Why do we take pictures? Why do we keep memories? Why are they incredible moments? Why would we go to them all day, every day, all year long? Why? It's because it's personal. Because there's a person there involved in that that you love and you wouldn't dare missing it. I mean, my son, my oldest, plays the drums. Oh, what wonderful moments those were when he started learning the drums. Sometimes it sounds amazing. Sometimes we go outside for a while. But every time he plays the drums, it's special to us. When you watch a baptism at this church, is it boring to you or personal? I can tell you, I can help you understand that. If you're not invested in what God's doing through this church, it's boring to you. It's not personal. On a regular basis, people will find out that we're doing a baptism weekend and not come to church because they're like, I've seen that before. But on a regular basis, every single baptism weekend, people make sure to be here because they are heavily invested in these people's lives. If you give to this church, you're here for baptism weekends. If you serve somewhere, you're here. Let's take this another step forward. If it's not personal, we won't run to anyone. And every single week, a church closes in the United States of America. Multiple churches close. And I would contend at some point, they stopped making things personal. Do not just be content that there are people that you know and love sitting around you. Don't ever forget there are 42,000 people that put on their census, I have no faith, and they live within 25 miles of where we sit. Unconditional love should be personal. Let me show you something again. Let me refresh your memory. This graph that we've been walking through this, I see the world. This is the filter that I see life through. Love it. 
God is centered, everything's about God. God created this world, but there's sin. We have a savior, there's salvation, and heaven is my home. I'm just camping here on earth, so God guides my answers. Let's just press this in further. Do you believe, don't answer this out loud, but I'm just curious, internally, would you answer, do you believe kids should know who Jesus is? And most of us say, yes! What have you done about it? Let's go to teenagers, and you're like, I don't wanna be with kids, okay. You go to teenagers, you're like, teenagers are kinda cool sometimes, randomly. Just internally, do you think teenagers should know who Jesus is? If you do, what have you done about it? Do not say, well, I attend a church who values teenagers. Do something about it. If you don't know this historically, and we've locked this in, the moment in life that you and I start to process, is God real? And we start to have these doubts about God. You know what happens? Middle school. Middle school is when most of us start to be like, I'm not sure because there's some things that my parents told me were true and, and, and they aren't true. And so what's that mean with God? And we're processing going, okay, is God real? My friends and my friends don't believe what I believe in. Is he real? If those middle schoolers do not have somebody to process that with, those doubts turn into truths for them. And they leave the church, usually hit some low moment in their life and realize, wait a minute, those were just doubts. Do you believe teenagers should know who Jesus is? If so, what are you doing about it? How about the East location? The East location is being put together. Let me show you a picture of the East. East is, East is, this is, I mean, it looks prettier, by the way. Now somebody's like, I'm not going there. Is there gonna be air conditioning? <laughs> drive by there, drive by there today, this week, drive by, and you'll see, it looks different. But I gotta tell you, I have a fear as pastor of this church is that there will be folks who call themselves Fountain Springers who will embrace and love East Location and will go there but have contributed nothing to it. Don't put yourself inside of that building without saying, I have sacrificed so that these seats could be here. Have you made this personal? Let's just walk this out and model Jesus. How about serving? Every single weekend, there's, there's people serving through Love Week stuff all over the place. Cutting wood, doing construction stuff, serving meals, folding things for people, engaging people. Do you believe, and just answer this internally, that other people should be served? If so, what have you done with that belief? Have you made this personal? Have you taken your hope that a church would one day welcome anyone and everyone into it? Have you taken that belief that how you see the world, that Jesus saves and you've owned it, you are saved? Yes. Have you taken that and made it so personal that other people can hear and see who Jesus is? 